Welcome back, knuckleheads. We've got a short and sweet episode this week. I was lucky enough to sit down with the Assistant Dean of Narrative Reflection and Patient Communication for TCU and UNT's Medical School. I know that's quite the title. I imagine her business card is two pages. So Dr. Vaughn Kaplan-List is my guest this week, and we really get into something we could all use more of, compassion. I know you're gonna love this one, so hit subscribe now and share with a friend. Thanks. Dr. Yvonne, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, you have quite the title at TCU's and UNT's med school. I'd love to hear a little bit about what you guys are doing over there. Sure. I've been here almost three years and I'm just um, being able to to tell people my title. I can't seem to get it right. Um, Yeah, it's a very unique position. It doesn't exist anywhere else at any medical school. I was brought here by Dean Flynn because of his vision of training medical students to be empathetic scholars, to communicate with compassion. There is communication training at medical schools across the country. It's usually a one-off course or parts of a course called clinical skills. But through my years, my decade at the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science, my role was to embed our curriculum at medical schools. And uh, it became clear to me what it took to really do it right. And established medical schools didn't have it. And I came here because of the opportunity that Dean Flynn provided with this brand new medical school. And what it looks like for us is that there's support from the top, Dean Flynn, which Mm -hmm. is so important to make communications important to the faculty and the students. It's ironic, but medical students and faculty, um, that's not their go-to most most of them in communications training. And most medical students don't like communications training. Uh, So what we're doing differently is it's not just a course. It's embedded in all their basic science and clinical experiences. It's a new curriculum that uh, we developed called the Compassionate Practice. Uh, And it's a process, an easy one, a repeatable process that connects our students with their patients. What's also different about this medical school is the faculty are trained in it as well. And it's embedded throughout all their years here. So it's not, uh, you know, in practice, you don't say, okay, I'm going to stop to communicate now and then I'm going to deal with the ethical issue and then I'll diagnose the patient. It's all intertwined. So if they learn it that way, it'll become part of their fabric as a physician. So, I mean, it's my understanding the program just started accepting students this past summer. What are those first few years like getting a med school off the ground? I have no idea what that world is like. Yeah, you know, I didn't either, right? How often do you get to start a new medical school? Dean Flynn had his second opportunity. Yeah. I Very For unique. I'm not sure yeah. there's maybe one other dean or so that has had the chance. Um, and he took this opportunity to really make a difference and make a change. And there's a lot of work that goes into mm-hmm. it. I've been faculty at a medical school, but I've you know already established. So I learned, I came in, I was the ninth hired, and that was almost three years ago. It took, since I was there, was basically almost two years or more until we could take our first students. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so there's accreditation process gotcha. and a lot um, that goes into to it. All right. Well, you talked a lot about the compassionate practice. Uh, 
Can you kind of explain what that means in medicine and what you guys are trying to accomplish? Yes. So traditional communications training is not usually a repeatable process Mm -hmm. or it's inauthentic. So the compassionate practice is based in theater pedagogy, uh, Stanislavski, and it's interdisciplinary. So it also includes uh, narrative med- the field of narrative medicine, public health. My background is a journalist. I was a journalist before I became a physician. I always say the best skills I learned to be a physician is what I learned as being a journalist. And what that is, is being able to elicit a story. Uh, the story is the most important part of taking, uh, of taking care of a patient. And they will give you a lot of the information the patient that you Mm -hmm. need to make the diagnosis and figure out the best treatment. And it's not easy to elicit a story. And it's all based in listening. And listening is the most important skill of communications. And listening is your ears and your eyes. So it's observation as well. And doctors aren't good at that. You know, it takes on average, it takes 12 to 18 seconds before a physician interrupts their patient. It's not very long. No. And it's getting worse. I mean, are students nowadays more receptive to the sort of training or are they still going through it kicking and screaming until a certain point when it kind of clicks for them? Yeah. I'm um, just like anything for a medical student. Uh, it's hard. I mean, I was in their shoes and there are a lot being thrown at them and some of the stuff they understand the relevance of immediately, but then light bulbs will go off maybe in residency, maybe even in practice as the importance of of it. Uh, It's a spectrum. Some get it right away and some roll their eyes. Why do I need to do this? And then our reception from our students after I've been, I've worked with a hundred and something medical schools is, you know, they, they chose this medical school for a reason. Mm -hmm. So uh, they knew what they were getting themselves into. Okay. You talked a lot yesterday at that healthcare forum about Prescani scores. Do each individual doctor have their own Prescani score, or is it for a health system or a physician group? I know a little bit about those Prescani scores, but could you shine some light on how that kind of works? Yeah. So in New York, there's a lot of private practices. Yeah. Um, they don't really have Prescani scores. It's more of a hospital. Gotcha. I mean, I'm not an expert on Prescani yeah, scores, yeah. but my understanding is that physicians that are hired by hospitals or in Texas, which is different than New York, they have big physician groups. Yeah. And patients that are discharged, let's say from the emergency room, are sent these Prescani surveys once they're home to fill out. Makes sense. Uh, a predominance of the questions on the Prescani are communication um, and relation and interpersonal skill related. So you can have your press Caney scores in, in, in the bottom because you're not a good communicator, but you can be an awesome physician. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's important to be an unbelievable physician, understand the medicine as well as be a great communicator. Absolutely. I'm curious why you think communication is lacking. Is it just the system that these physicians are seeing so many patients, it just kind of gets burned out. Um, I'd be interested in your take on that, given that you're at the beginning of the assembly line, as Dr. Flynn said, uh, what your perspective on that is. Yeah. So in traditional medical education, there is a drop. Pa- uh, medical students come in for the right reasons, right? Mm-hmm. They want to they want to connect with their patients. They want to communicate with their patients. They they have empathy for their patients. But there's been studies that show that there's a dip 
They come in with the empathy and then it, there's a dip when they're about to see patients in their clinical years, which is the second half of their medical education. That's in traditional medical schools. In our medical school, they're seeing patients from day one. Uh, we're hoping with this innovative curriculum where they're seeing patients at the beginning with the communications curriculum, with the many other innovative things we're doing at this medical school, that we will avoid that dip and time will tell. Um, so medical, it already happens in medical school. Then they're out in the big bad world in residency and um, and in their practices. They're not seeing they're not seeing role models that embody what we're trying to teach them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of burnout. Physicians say they don't have enough time to connect and communicate. Uh, and then when in fact studies show that you save time when you communicate effectively. Yeah. And um, and it's because when you have a connection with somebody or a patient, they're more likely to give you the answers you need and tell their story. Yeah. If I don't trust you and you're my physician, why would I uh, pony up any information? So, That's true. so the, the, the encounters take longer. They're not compliant. You know, often they may not even come back. So in the end, it saves time. And the best part of all this is when you ask physicians that have gone through training or our training or any training in communications is that they're back to why the reason they went into medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have a increasing suicide rate in, in, in medicine and residency. Yeah. I had some physician recruiters on the show a couple months ago, and that was one of the big things that they were talking about was more the burnout side of it. Yeah. I'm curious, do you think this helps lead to more affordable care? I know it helps from a time perspective. I, I just have to ask, given my role as a benefits broker and trying to control those costs, uh, I'd be interested to see if there's any data on that. Yeah. Well, there are studies that it will lead to better health outcomes, which Good. mental and physical, which of yeah, course is going to impact yeah. the bottom line, leads to less um, need for diagnostic tests. Uh, you know, you get more information, you get the story better, you can hone in on what the issue really is. Yeah, one visit versus three makes sense. Non-compliance, yeah. frequent flyers back into the emergency room. You know, uh, I used to see this a lot in residency and medical school being discharged patients with heart failure or asthma, and they didn't understand the instructions. The communication wasn't effective. And where, where what ends up is they end up back in the emergency room. Yeah. That costs a lot of money. It does cost a lot of money for benefit plans. So I watched a video of your story. Can you kind of share how you go from a journalist to working at a new med school? Yeah. I was a chronic patient. I was diagnosed with a chronic disease when I was 15. And I was a frequent flyer in the okay. uh, hot emergency room and hospitals. I've had 21 surgeries wow. um, between the age of 15 and up until five years ago. I saw very young firsthand the importance of communications within my healthcare team and with me. And it impacted my mental and physical health and the health of my family. I mean, my family was uh, devastated over my illness. And you know, at the time I had to make a decision about going to medical school, I was really sick and I knew medical school. I always wanted to be a physician mm -hmm. and I always, uh, but I knew the long haul, right? Yeah. And I, I wasn't sure I was going to be able to do it. And I picked my second passion, which was journalism, uh, which all, with the goal of always, if I've got better, to go back to medical school. So I be I, I became a journalist and loved it. I worked for Ted Koppel um, on Nightline, ABC News. 
I then I then left to do some medical syndicated journalism programs. And then when I was ready and healthy, I lived my dream and went back to medical school. I became a pediatrician and then worked in private practice, but always gnawing at me was I need to combine my skills as a communicator and a physician. Back to kind of the TCU and UNT's program. It sounds like we're doing some pretty unique things here. Like are people taking notice? Are there other schools that are interested in this? Like, is it, are people receptive to it? Yeah. So medical education changes. They try to change the the paradigm every decade, I would say. I okay. mean, I, it's not a hard and fast rule, but it, it happens. Of course, it's always easier to do something innovative and change when you're starting a new school. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to make changes in established medical schools. So there are a bunch of new schools opening up and they are instituting maybe some of what we're doing or other things that we're not doing, uh, but but they're realizing that it has to change. And it's and what are the big changes? And what are we doing is, uh, so it's it's not lectures, it's, it's flipped classroom. It's not passive learning, it's active learning. Used to be I would sit in a lecture hall for 10 hours and I'd wake up when I knew something was important because I got good at that and then I'd zone back out. Here, if they come to class, they come because they have to work as a team. Mm-hmm. They have to be actively learning, and uh, that's the bi- that's the big difference. The other difference in our school is to help with the wellness and resilience piece because of the burnout. Is we have our student affairs dean work works on a wellness program, uh, Dr. Franks for our students, as well as a coaching program where we have physicians acting as coaches. So our our students are broken up into teams, and they each have a coach. And that's to help them uh, navigate medical school and their future. It's uh, medical school's rough. You're on a treadmill from the second you start. And this is to help avoid burnout and help students develop the tools they need to be healthy and lifelong learners. Interesting. Can you explain kind of what that wellness program looks like? That's the first I've heard of it. I think of wellness programs from like, a benefits perspective, but can you shine some light on some of the things those doctors are doing? Is it just really to help get them through the med school or these lessons that they're utilizing even once they're out of the program? Yeah, it's it's that's the goal of, of that. And that's also the goal okay. of our communications curriculum is that this is something they use as part of their fabric. It'll become gotcha. part of what they do and 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 learn like, for example, narrative medicine is part of our curriculum. Why would that matter having to do with wellness? Well, some of the students, you know, yoga was my was my save savior, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody needs to find what would help them get through. We call it, um, you know, don't lose your who's. You know, before you go into medical school, you're a pianist, you have interests, you're well-rounded or else you wouldn't have gotten into medical school. Yeah. But when you do get into medical school and become a resident, you, resident, you lose your who's. Mm-hmm. And we encourage our students not to lose their who's because that's what's going to make them healthy long term as a physician, mentally, physically and better doctors. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Flynn has talked a lot about the doctor of 2030. I'd be interested to hear what you foresee that that doctor looking like. Yeah. Well, we speak a lot about all the technology that yeah, yeah. Um, that is um going to change medicine. How's that going to impact the doctor-patient relationship? Um, Will it replace it? I argue it's ironic that the art of medicine is going to become even more important. 
uh, more important that they become effective, uh, compassionate communicators. Uh, the technology can replace diagnostics and treatments, uh, but it will never replace the relationship you need with your with your physician. So if you're given an option of different treatments for cancer or for a surgical intervention, uh, if you trust your physician, the most common question to the physician is, what would you do if this was your family member? Can you, you can't ask a robot or a computer, what would That's they do? True. And also breaking bad news. I mean, how do you tell a patient they have six months to live from a robot or a computer? Yeah, I do not know the answer to that question. So, I mean, I'm curious, I ask most of my guests this, like how can we be better consumers of healthcare from your perspective? You've got kind of a unique blend in history within medicine. So I'd be interested to see from a patient perspective, how can we all be better consumers of it? Yeah, well, I think we are becoming better consumers of it. I think it's important to to choose your physicians. Of course, they have to be great doctors. And it used to be people would wait for uh, who, the reputation of a physician for months and get in there and say they have the bedside manner of a wet rag, right? That's changing because consumers are, are want both because that is, is so important to their health. In fact, 87% of, of patients studied in this, in this survey chose their physician or their hospital based on kind treatment over anything else. So it is changing. And and that means that the physicians have to step up to the plate and take it seriously. They have to be more aware of their interpersonal skills. I like it. Being a, a journalist, I'd be interested to hear what your favorite interview question is for students or I guess from back during your journalist days. Well, the toughest question that we actually train our medical students to answer on interviews for residency and beyond is tell me about yourself. Because when they interview, we have everything on paper, right? We don't yeah. want to hear where, you know, what was on the paper. We want to hear what makes them tick and the reason why we should bring them on as a medical student or a resident. And it's not, you know, I was born in the Bronx and then I went to high school and, the, you know, it's not the chronology of it. It yeah. is tell me who you really are and why you're different than anybody else. And that's the, mo that's the most interesting question to me. Yeah. I, uh, quite a few people have given that answer in some form or fashion from Dr. Filippetto. Um, yeah, I think that's a great interview question. So last question, how do you kind of balance your life and stay healthy given the demands of your job and also living in New York and here? Yeah. Um, you know, I've always, uh, I've always been a, I guess, a good multita multitasker and uh, I only really do what I'm passionate about. So it's not a job to me. It's, you know, I, it was a big, uh, bold move to leave the Alda Center and New York to come here but I, I followed my heart and my passion. And so that makes it easier. I have a great family that supports me and is proud of me. So that's helpful. And uh, I always look forward. I never look back. So that, you know, in fact, when I do look back, I say to myself, I don't know how I did that. You know, how did yeah. I have two kids in medical school and residency? Uh, would I have changed anything? No, because in the moment I'm very focused and I and I get what I need to get done. And then I look back and I go, well, that was a little crazy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, Yvonne, thanks for coming on. 
Thank you. This was great. Thanks for giving the show a listen. Uh, Please do me a favor before you stop listening. Subscribe on whatever platform you're on. Uh, If you loved it so much and you've already subscribed, share this episode with a friend. Thanks again, and I'll see you next week. Matt McGee is an employee of Frost Insurance. All opinions shared by Matt or guests of the Healthy Conversations podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Frost Insurance or Frost Bank. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for insurance, banking, or investment advice. Healthy Conversations with Matt McGee is brought to you by Straight Up Podcasts.